says, this is all I got left. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed today except for when I had to be up here this morning. Uh, it's very difficult uh, talk about these things, very complicated for you to even hear them. But you ought, to, you ought to think about the fact that I'm the one that did them. And then I have to relive them over and over again so I could tell everybody about them. And uh, it's, it's its own ministry, its own burden. But I'm, I'm thrilled. Today I've had so many conversations at lunch and, and here and, and, and on the way out. Many people talking about uh, safe houses and, and ministries that you can be involved in and how to give to what we're doing. And, and uh, it's just been exciting to make all these relationships again, especially after just really just sitting there and hunkering down for over a year, used to traveling and being out all the time. It's just kind of a, a breath of fresh air. Plus, I forget. You, you wouldn't think you'd forget some of these things, but I forget. Uh, just just fellowship, just knowing men like your pastor and uh, his his wife. Where's Jess? Did she, she slip off somewhere? She's what? She may not even hear what I'm saying right now. If, if she's not right here somewhere, I'm going to wait to say it because I want her to hear it. She what? She's in the back. Well, somebody... Flag me down when she comes back out here. I have something to say to her, and she's too shy to let me say it to her face. <coughs> uh, I, I do appreciate everything that everyone has said <coughs> and uh, your, your words of encouragement, your prayers, the thoughts that you've had throughout the day of what what you may be able to do. That's the whole reason I'm here is to try to try to grow this thing. I do want to read a scripture to you in James 1 and 27. If you've uh, ever been around my ministry and around my preaching over the last 27 years, you've probably heard this verse lots of times. If you used to get the old HMA newsletter or uh, if you've been on my blog or my podcast or any of those other things those kids do with me, um, you probably know this verse because it's my, it's my motto it's my my verse. It's it's what drives us. But James 1 and 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I used to preach a, a sermon about this verse because this verse changed my life and, and it literally created my ministry. Uh, all my life growing up, I've heard, well, the church is supposed to be this, and preachers are supposed to do this, and Christians are supposed to be like this, and all of these things are supposed to be like this. Everybody has their own idea of Christianity, right? Don't sit there and look at me like that. Everybody has their own idea of Christianity. If that's not true, how come there's 150 churches in a town of like 5,000 people? It's because everybody has their own idea of Christianity. And I had my own ideas, and I still have some of my own ideas, but they're about as worthless as yours. So when I needed to know, I, I searched out 
the greatest of authorities that I could get my hands on. And I come across James 1 and 27 where the blood brother of Jesus Christ, the baby brother of the Messiah of the universe said, let me tell you what our religion is. We're done. No more searching. Don't give me your opinion anymore. I'll try not to give you mine. Because the baby brother of the Messiah of the universe said, I will tell you what our religion is. And you would think if I told you and you didn't know any better that the blood brother of Jesus Christ gave us a list of what Christianity was literally forever settled about, you would have thought that it was pages and pages and pages. But actually, there's two things on the list. James, the brother of Christ, said, I'm going to give you the list of what our the purity of our religion of Christianity is about. It's point one and point two. Point one is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. We call that outreach. Christianity is primarily and first and foremost outreach. Very important to realize that it's first and foremost outreach. And then the second and final point is keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's sanctification. What is Christianity? What is our religion about, this religion that, that this church is built on, that this pastor preaches about, that we gave our hearts to? What is it about? It's about outreach and sanctification. It's about trying to win everybody else that he hasn't won yet while keeping ourselves sanctified. That's it. Uniquely enough, the other religions of the world that came close enough to almost figure this out did figure out the two points, but they got them upside down. I've been in, I don't know, 2,000 churches maybe in my ministry. And I've been in hundreds of them that figured out the two points but just got them backwards. They decided to preach and teach that if every one of us that goes to this particular church can get clean enough and do enough of the right things and shun enough of the wrong things and look perfect and act perfect and do perfect, be perfect, that eventually we could win the world. Guess what? We're never going to win the world because we're never going to be perfect. It was close, but upside down is just as messy as getting all the points wrong. Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this. Outreach first, sanctification included. Win the world, win the lost, love the lost, love the world. Be the light of Christ in the lost darkness of the world. Tell people about Jesus. Testify, witness, preach, proclaim, spread the gospel. Spread the gospel while keeping yourself sanctified. Amen. Okay, put a, put a little book holder right there because Jessica's back. I was telling them, and you weren't here to hear it, so I paused until you came back. That I've been sitting in my office and sitting in the classroom and sitting in my house for over a year, right after all of the pandemic stuff where I was home a whole lot then too. And I just 
I just miss some things, and sometimes I forget that I miss them. Fellowship. Listening to others preach and teach and learning about all the people that I haven't met yet that are in the kingdom. And then there was another thing just a few minutes ago, hearing Jessica sing. Uh, What I thought of was uh, I was in a room here a few weeks ago, and there's a bunch of young men in there, and they're bragging about how, you know, how young men are, how tall they are, and how strong they are, and how this they are, and how smart they are, and how that they are. You know, young men do that. Say amen. And they're, t- they're talking about who was the tallest, and there was like a six-foot guy, and a six-one guy, and a six-two guy, and then I walked in the room. And I'm six-eight, <laughs> and they're like, ah, never mind. And y'all are beautiful singers. I love the fact that you've raised this whole next generation of all these song leaders and worshipers, and your pastor can sing. Everybody can sing. The kids can sing. Everybody can sing. But then Jessica sang for a second. Did y'all hear that? <laughs> That's next level, y'all. <laughs> Forgive me, sissy, but I forgot. I forgot a lot of things in the last several years what I've been through, but I was sitting there and I was listening to all this beautiful singing and these voices and the, the blending and the harmony and the different one, and then all of a sudden I heard something and I went, whoa, what was that? And I remembered that voice. Praise God. You know, it's all right to point out things like that. Matter of fact, I rather enjoy it because I know a lot of times they're in environments where that's not appropriate. Well, it's appropriate. Back to James 1 and 27. You see, uh, a primary, primary focal point of Christianity is children. And most of you would say, yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I think I believe that. Let me tell you, let me show you biblically why it's even way more huge than you already agree with and believe, okay? How many of you know God has a people They happen to be under attack again right now? They're in, at war again still. God has a people, and those people are called the Jews. And we know that that's God's people because all throughout the Old Testament, after he chose them, he said certain very specific things about them. He said, if you curse them, I'll curse you. If you bless them, I'll bless you. If you hurt them, I'll hurt you. If you fight them, I'll fight you. Over and over and over and over and over again, God said those things about the Jews, right? Now, I'm going to throw you a curveball, and you all are going to think I'm crazy er, for a minute. In the, in the second dispensation of time, In the New Testament era where we live, God has another chosen people. He did not leave the Jews. He will never leave the Jews because he promised he wouldn't, and God does not lie. But he has another people in this second dispensation of time, and those people are the poor. How do you know that? 
Well, I know that because in the New Testament, Christ said the exact same things about the poor as God said in the Old Testament. He said, if you bless them, I'll bless you. If you curse them, I'll curse you. Oh, come on, y'all. Everything he said about the Jews in the Old Testament, now he says about the poor in the New Testament. So he's got this other people. The poor are defined in the New Testament not the way we define poor, not like I can only afford one pair of shoes and not two today or whatever. I got to eat at McDonald's instead of the steakhouse. That's not the poor that the New Testament is talking about. The poor are defined continually in the New Testament as the sick, the orphans, the children in general, the widows. Uh, the elderly is another class that we would probably put in this class, but scriptures generally did not use elderly as part of the poor because biblical societies had built in familial social systems that took care of their aged, and now we live in modern Western cultures that pretty much don't take care of our aged. I'm, I'm going to keep talking about what I was talking about this morning, but I might as well throw some of this stuff in there for you as we're going. The point being that the poor in the Bible might better be translated as the helpless or those that need help. Uniquely, children always fall into that category. From the time they are conceived in their mother's womb until they're old enough, wise enough, and strong enough to fend for themselves, children always need our help. Children are always in need of help. So children are always part of the biblical classification of the poor. And the poor is who we're supposed to be working for. In many ways, the modern church's battle that we are losing, by the way, is to fight for the children. If we were to begin to list the fronts that we are fighting as the modern Christian church, abortion, homosexuality, pornography, divorce rates, the breaking apart of the traditional family units uh, uh, over sheer carnality, the obsession of cell phones and iPads and apps and social medias and video games, modern peer pressures, mental illnesses, murder and suicides, sex trafficking, mass shootings. This is a general list of what the church is fighting today. Where in all of these battles do you not see the children? All of these horrific things that we're fighting and losing are really about the children. Of all the words that we know of in the English Bible translated from the Greek and the Chaldean and the Aramaic and the, and the Hebrew. Of the words that we know, just, just a few that were repeated dozens of times, some of them hundreds of times, the term children was directly referenced 1,523 times in Scripture. Also, we only have a, a few thousand words ever recorded out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, but he referred to the children about 70 times. 
He used children in his sermons. He used children in his teachings and children in his parables. More than anyone or anything else, he used children. Like in Matthew 18 and 6, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. And in Mark 9 and 36, and he took a child and he set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken uh, him into his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth, uh, whosoever receive me shall not receive me, but receive him that sent me. When Christ spoke of, was round and had anything to do with children, there was such an intimate reverence that I pull from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. He was trying to instill in his followers for all down through the ages of a precious, precious thing that needed nurtured and cared for and fiercely protected the children. If we learn, receive, and act upon that message of the master, we have an incredible power because he promised if you bless them, he'll bless you. If you help them, he'll help you. If you fight for them, he'll fight for you. We have an incredible power. But if we miss that teaching of the master, if we misconstrue it or fail to act upon it correctly, we have done a terrible thing. And it explains a lot of the weaknesses of our churches. Satan knows all of this, and more importantly, he knows why. So when he wants to attack the church and attack your family and attack a movement and attack any good and godly thing, he knows to go after the children. It has been one of his greatest tactics for hundreds and hundreds of years. He did it in, in, in Egypt with Pharaoh. He did it in, in Palestine with Herod. He did it in the United States with Roe v. Wade. He's doing exactly the same thing to us today. Killing our children before they're born, flooding their minds with horrific thoughts after they're born, and then literally stealing them from us right under our noses if all of the other tactics didn't work. Of all the things that I've known the church to stand up and fight against in my lifetime, it seems that the children are always on the back burner. You're going to have to help me. I could get a little radical if I wanted to. The children are always on the back burner. In this way of looking at it, the church is so much like society in general, it's scary. In, in, in the world in general, we get so caught up in the here and now, building our personal wealth, getting nicer, newer, and cooler things for ourselves, not, not paying enough attention to the future, ours or anyone else's, not paying uh, anywhere near enough to the price that those coming up after us are going to pay for our selfishness. That's the world. 
Now, I know you agree with me about that, and that sounds just like the world, and we can all say amen right there, but does it apply to the church? When our primary focus is best music possible, highest and best services possible, best delivery possible from the sermon, best message possible with all the right rhyming and cool words and educated sounding thoughts, best name in the community, best church to go to, y'all. Listen, listen. You people might not know me well enough, but I believe in quality in the church. I'm not about just slapping things together and throwing whatever up there, any old thing, and just see what happens. But we, too, get caught up just focusing on our here and now, our nicer and newer and bigger and cooler. As soon as one service is done, we start preparing for the next one, not time for anything else. As soon as one number is hit, we start building for the next number. Listen, the church has resources. They're just rarely focused on the things that matter. There is a ton of wealth in the American Christian church. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. We have networks. We have corporations. We have buildings and vehicles and buses and properties and campgrounds. And the church has resources. They're just rarely focused on the things that matter most. Let me show you a mistake we often make. Christianity is a pure religion. I read that in my text. Pure religion, undefiled before God. Evil is dirty. Ungodliness is nasty. So we spend all of our efforts getting as clean and pure and holy and undefiled as possible, all good things. But we do it to the point that I think the devil has realized something. I think he's realized that if he makes certain sins that are so dirty and so disgusting and so vile and so nasty that we are so busy trying to get so clean and so pure and so holy that we won't touch those things with a thousand foot pole. And he'll get away with them. I could get on my high horse right now and I'll try not to. I'll just tiptoe onto it for just a second and try to jump right back off. But I got 27 years of ministry with drug addicts and drug dealers and pimps and prostitutes and homeless people. And, and that, those are all the congregations I ever had was street people. And I've been criticized for backsliding and being like them and wondering if I was on pills too and if I was getting them hooked, uh, getting them to the church so that I could get stuff from them and, and the, the kids that's lived with us and stayed at our house and what we were doing and go ahead you go ahead you talk all you want I could pull out my cell phone right now and I could call hundreds of them and they call me dad or they call me grandpa or they call me pastor 
told you this morning about the girl that called me two days ago, said, I just wanted to make sure you knew, Pastor, that this is my, my anniversary date. I've been clean, saved, and sober for 17 years. Go ahead. Talk about me. In our effort to get so clean and so pure and so righteous and so holy, which are all good things, you have to remember to ask yourself one question. If I'm getting so good, so clean, so holy, so pure, so righteous, so sanctified, that I can't possibly get dirty with all of these things going on in other people's lives, I have to have missed it somewhere because Jesus is the most righteous man that ever lived, and he got his hands dirty every day. The church has finally learned at least a little bit to fight against abortion. And we're finally winning that battle on a few fronts. And as disgusting and wicked and evil as abortion is, there are no filthy acts that we personally have to overcome to fight against it. It was a mind game we were playing on ourselves. We just have to finally face the reality of it. But child pornography and sex trafficking, these things are on a different level. If we fight them directly head on, we may encounter them. If we fight them, we may end up with some of the victims. You know, that's the problem a lot of people have with my original drug rehab ministry and homeless outreach is we'd get them and we'd, we'd get busloads full of them and take them to camp meetings and take them to revivals and take them around to the different churches. And, and it drove people crazy. It made them so uncomfortable. They'd station somebody by the men's room and station somebody by the women's room and station somebody by the kitchen and just watch for them. They don't have to wash for them. I know for a fact homeless people use the bathroom too. They'll be there. What are we doing? I think that's one of the biggest problems with sex trafficking and pornography and the church doing something about these things is we know if we fight that, we're going to end up with some of them. Help me now. I know that we know we'll end up with some of them, and I know that the church world as a whole don't want them. Oh, some of you almost said something, and then you closed your mouth real fast. It's like, um. It would be a very difficult and complicated process to try to help them if we had to have them to help them. So I'll take care of that right now. Yes, it is, and it does, and it will be. Yes, it is horrifically complicated. Yes. And there's lots of things I could get into this evening. I won't for the sake of time. 
but I'll, I'll at least throw this one out there. There's one thing we need in dealing with these situations more than almost anything else. We need women in the ministry. I don't care if you're called to preach or not. I don't care if you preach or not. I don't care if you whisper, talk, spit, scream, use microphones, don't use microphones, can sing or not. Can uh, th None of that matters. I'm talking about being in the ministry. We need women in ministry if we're going to do this. See, one of the most difficult things that I faced when I first started helping the homeless and the addict, uh, addicted population in downtown Tulsa 20-some years ago was about 35% of homeless were women and about 45% of addicts were women. And everybody, quote, doing the work around me were male preachers. I'm just going to tell you right now, in boots on the ground, hands dirty, doing the daily work for Christ that Christ did, Paul did, Peter did, James did, and, 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 and our young people, my ministers, have been doing for the last couple of decades. There is very little time for preaching sermons. Everybody doing the work was male ministers. And one of the most prized possessions that I ever came across during all my years of outreach was consecrated females in active outreach ministry. Some of you don't know where I'm going. Some of you think you know where I'm going. Stay with me. I'll go where I'm going. When I come across young women and, and, and older women that were studying and learning and getting their hands dirty just like the men, when I found them, I pushed them and promoted them and encouraged them. Several of them made it into very successful outreach ministries, but we still need a ton more. The reason that I'm pointing this out is multifold. First of all, it is extremely difficult for a man to gain the trust of a woman that has been treated so vilely by other men. Secondly, once we rescue, save, contact, help one of these women or girls out of the most desperate of situations, they're so incredibly, uh, 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 they so incredibly need certain communications and efforts and human contact that a man cannot effectively and properly give. I have a women in, in baby shelter that, I, that I'm uh, over the, the group there, part of the leadership. I've taken women off the streets and rescued sex trafficked girls and all these different things. And we take them to this shelter. And as best we can, I never personally interact with them ever again. You know how hard that is? They're, they're, they're like my own babies. They're like my children. But those particular ones, I hardly ever interact with ever again. I put one girl in there. She was uh, pregnant by her captor. I counseled her out of abortion. She had the baby, was going to put it up for adoption, decided to keep it. And she had that child until that child was six years old. So over six years, I never spoke to her one time. Because of psychological things that happen when they're indoctrinated by their captors and they're taught to fall in love with the men that mistreat them. And then they have no other male uh, figures in their life 
they ever count on. They have no father. They have no grandfather. They have no husband. They, have, they just have these, these terrible people. And as soon as they get around somebody that is a, 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 a big, strong, caring adult male figure, they just immediately just fall in love with them. And then you start messing up the whole process of trying to help them. We need women. And when you're in those horrible and horrific situations, a man has a tendency to follow his conscience uh, uh, and, and, and leading of the spirit, but not closely enough at times. Watch me tiptoe my way through this one. I've seen too much, y'all. I've been through too much. The devil preys on that. Men will do things that they shouldn't and or will get played and preyed upon back by the one that was played and preyed upon before. Some of these girls do things back to them, some of it unintentionally, some of it intentionally. Am I making sense? I don't want to get too graphic here. This is complicated stuff. These efforts should be Christian community efforts. I came this morning and told you all about my part of the effort. I do what most of you can't do. I kick doors in. I scare people. I take children back by force. I find them on the Internet, and we map them out, and we surveil them, and we threaten them if we have to. And we physically take the children back. But that's just the very beginning of what has to happen. From there, I need everybody else. It should be a Christian community effort. There are places in almost every community in America for the elders, the middle-aged, the youth, the, the men, the women, the experienced ministers, the, the families, the laity to get involved. We should be finding, funding, covering in prayer, educating in advance, adopting, sponsoring. Pastor talks about all those kids that adopted here. That just, oh, that just got me so excited. That's one of the most difficult things for us is when we get small children, we can't, there's nowhere to, to get them permanently. And with them to go full time. But instead, we so often make excuses. We're scared, we're uneducated. Or the thoughts of what's happening are just too horrific for us to get past to be able to get involved. I'll be done here in just a few moments, but I'm, I'm going to get a little bit bold here for a second. I know what you're thinking, more bold? That's just, stay with me. All my life, I've heard statements come out of men's mouths. Where I was raised in farm community in Oregon, where I was homeless and lived on the streets around San Francisco, California. In high school and college, 
in the semi-pro basketball circuits in the summertime, on jobs, in churches. I've heard people say things like, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's somebody hurting a child or a woman. If I ever caught somebody doing something like that to a woman or a child, I would, you would what? I'm asking you, if you've ever said that, what would you do? Because it's happening everywhere, all day, every day, all night, every night. What will you do? It's happening here in Enterprise. I promise you. What are you going to do? Are you just going to go to work tomorrow? And tell one of your co-workers that you heard what I said. And boy, if you ever see one yourself, you're going to, you're going to what? What are you going to do? Because believe it or not, I'm giving you an opportunity to do something. That will make a difference. That will last. That will change the lives for those that have been miserably abused and hurt. And mistreated. Yeah, but Brother Slogan, we're, we're, we're proper, sanctified, dignified, suit-wearing, skirt-wearing Christians. What do you expect us to do? Fight these guys? Kill them? Get dirty? Risk our lives and our livelihood? Worse yet, our reputations? Listen, I'll repeat myself from this morning. I am not talking about vigilanteism. I explained it to you for about an hour this morning. I went about it the legal way. I have full and way beyond full tactical training. I train with SWAT team members and state troopers and bounty hunters and rescue squads every weekend. I'm, I'm certified and licensed from here to the moon and back in that stuff. I went above and beyond the necessary education. I trained extra in emergency medical training and tourniquets and CPR and non-lethal and less lethal weapons because I, don't, I told you earlier, I don't want to send people to hell. I just want to stop them from hurting God's children. And all I'm asking you to do is think, pray, consider, support, get involved, ask questions. Don't sweep it under the rug. And please, please, if you're not going to support it, and if, you're, if you are going to sweep it back under the rug, at least for the love of heaven, at least stop talking about it like you care. Now, I'm, not, I'm not being specific to this church or these ministries. I know the people sitting in these seats care about the children. It's been proven from here to Africa and back. But I'm speaking of our faith in general. We've got to bombard heaven, stand against evil, 
be a part of the solution. I dare say what I'm about to say, and I'm not speaking of myself personally, but I am speaking of the work that I'm currently creating and involved in. We have the opportunity of a generation. I'm meeting more and more and more people, corporate people, government people, ex-military special ops people, private investigators, adoption agencies. We have the opportunity of a lifetime to build this and grow this and make a huge difference for an entire generation of children, mostly American children, but I've already been in two other countries besides America working on these cases as well. I told you this morning, I'm not afraid, and I'm not. I don't like pain. I don't want to die. I want to go home to see my wife and my four kids and my five grandbabies. Every time I go out on a job, that's, that's it on the forefront of my mind. I'm, I'm not psycho or anything. I'm not crazy. But what else are we going to do if our children, God's children, are taken and raped and killed, molested and sold like a loaf of bread? What are we going to do? Well, we have HMA Ministries, we have DTSE Incorporated, and now we have Elite Private Investigating Bodyguard Service. It's all belongs to a big, huge for-profit and non-profit corporate conglomeration that would be ex- difficult for me to be even explaining to you this evening. But we're going to do something. And all I asked was an opportunity to come share my heart explain what's going on, and see who all will be willing to help. 